Well, hey, New City Church, it's Pastor Ryan here. So glad to be with you for another midweek uh, Bible study and uh, just another great opportunity for us to connect together, to learn together, to grow together uh, during the pandemic. And uh, we are trying to stay apprised on all that's going on with uh, reopening our city and our state and what public gatherings might look like. Uh, we still don't have all the information. Hopefully by the end of the week, we'll have a little more solid uh, path. We've been talking with our leadership. I've uh, been talking with some medical professionals too of just how can we think about reopening and gathering uh, and some sense of normalcy. We know things won't be totally normal, but we're going to figure it out and find some creative solutions so that we can begin to to gather uh, together uh, again. But in, in the meantime, we have technology and uh, we have an opportunity uh, to connect uh, online. And, uh, and so hopefully these, these Bible studies have been encouraging to you. And uh, they've been encouraging to me because uh, a few weeks ago, we celebrated Resurrection Sunday, obviously in a very uh, different way uh, than normal, uh, which I would have loved to have, have been together, of course, uh, with family and friends and church family. Um, but coming off of Resurrection Sunday, um, I thought, you know, it would be good to think about what does our resurrection mean? What does the resurrection of Christ mean? What are the implications for our lives and for the world? And some of the, the, the most helpful and I think important teaching in scriptures on the resurrection is 1 Corinthians 15. Uh, and so we've been looking at 1 Corinthians 15 the last couple weeks. Uh, Paul's teaching towards the end of this letter in Corinthians. Uh, this church is divided. It's got infidelity issues. It's got uh, misunderstandings of what the spiritual life is and what the Christian life is. And it's just, just a church that's a wreck. Um, and, and I actually find great comfort in first Corinthians, uh, because if God is at work in a people that are a wreck, like the people of first Corinthians, uh, how much more will he be, uh, in, at work in our lives? And so he, he gets to the end of, of this book and he wants to summarize kind of the heartbeat of what the Christian faith is. And he centers his focus and he centers his teaching on the resurrection of Christ and all of its uh, implications. And so uh, it's very deep and profound teachings, again, of understanding what happens to us when we die, what happens to the world, what is what is Jesus up to in his resurrection. And the way I've kind of framed this study is calling it dominoes, that if we lose the dominoes of the resurrection, in other words, if we, we lose the realities of the resurrection, the historical realities of the resurrection, we, we really lose everything uh, in our faith. Um, and as much as we are a church that loves to talk about the cross, um, so often the church, I think, forgets about the power of the resurrection and what their resurrection accomplished. And 1 Corinthians 15 is a, is a big help for that. Um, and so as, as Paul begins 1 Corinthians 15, we're going to look at verses 20 to 28 this morning. But as he began his, his letter in the first few verses, he, he reminds them first of what is of first importance, that Jesus lived, he died, he rose again, um, that he was seen by 500 eyewitness accounts, um, and that this is the central grounding reality of their lives is that he really brings them back to the good news of the gospel, their, their founding base, their, their, what, where their lives draw hope, where their lives draw identity. Um, and, and so he looks at that uh, in the first few verses of, of 15. And, and really, that's a, a challenge to us. That's a call to us to remember that the church and our lives are built on the life and the death, death of resurrection. That, G, that Paul says, this is of first importance, that if we don't get the gospel right, the gospel of grace, the good news that God did something in human history, that God intervened to, to redeem and restore all things, if we miss that, we miss everything. 
And so he, he continues on and then he, he, he kind of talks about the resurrection in a, in a different light and says, if the resurrection historically didn't happen, then our faith is futile. It's, it's null. It's void. If the resurrection didn't happen in human history, then even the message in which we carry, we are misleading people and we should be pitied of all people. And so the church is built on this message. So if it didn't happen, then we might as well pack it in and do something else uh, because none of this makes, makes sense. Now, what I love about uh, our text this morning in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 20, is where Paul kind of picks up this line of thinking, where he picks up the next domino. Um, And and the the domino for this morning is the consequences of Christ being raised from the dead for the future. So he's beginning to look at the future and the implications of the resurrection, what Christ did and what it means for our future and what what it means for the whole world's uh, future. So let's, I'm going to read uh, just a couple of verses here. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 20. It says, But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all died, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death, for God has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when it says all things are put in subjection, it is plain that he expected who put all things in subjection under him. When all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be subjected to him who put all things in subjection under him, that God may be all and all. I'm just going to look at those eight or nine verses here this morning. And so 1 Corinthians 15, starting at verse 20. So as Paul is making this argument about the implications, the power, the reality of the resurrection of Christ and our own resurrection, and notice what he says in verse 20. He says, but, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have been who have fallen asleep. I always love to, to say uh, to to you and to to our church family that the, these buts, these beautiful buts in the scriptures. I know it sounds strange, but 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 Paul's making this argument and saying, I know some of you are questioning the resurrection. Some of you are saying that it didn't happen. Some of you are confused by it all. But but the reality is, it did happen. And I saw Christ raised from the dead. 500 people saw him raised from the dead. There's historical eyewitness accounts of this happening. We've experienced the power of the resurrection. The church itself got off the ground because of the resurrected Jesus. That there were many messiahs that came during that time that died. And when they died, their movement died. But the thing is, the, the Christian church didn't die and its movement didn't die because Jesus was raised from the dead. So he says, but Christ has been raised from the dead and he is a f- kind of a first fruits. Now, this is a, a harvesting, a farming term. Um, it, it's, it, it's this, this idea that, that, that it's the first crop, it's the first grain. And, and we could, we could actually translate it as, as simply, God is doing something new. That Jesus is this first fruit, that by his resurrection, there's a new harvest that has happened. There's, there's something new that's happened in his, his creation. Uh, there's something new that's happened in the world that has opened up a whole new possibility because of the resurrection uh, of Christ. 
And, and so, so the way Paul looks at it and the way he's encouraging the church is he's saying, you can't look at the resurrection as just something that happened and let's move on with our, our lives, is that it is marking a shift in human history, that everything has changed, that our lives have changed, that the world has changed, possibilities have changed because death no longer has, has say, sin no longer has say, basically what Paul was saying last week. That if the resurrection didn't happen, then we're still in our sins. That means death is still a reality. Death still has the last say. Injustice still has the last say. Suffering, pandemics, cancer still have the last say. Tsunamis and tornadoes have the last say. But if Jesus has been raised from the dead, as Paul says, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep, he, he says that even those that have died their own death does not have the last say if they belong to Jesus. Because a new harvest, a new produce, something unique has happened in human history. God is opening up an entire new world for us to um, experience because of the, the resurrection, because of Jesus walking out of a tomb fully live, alive. Sin and death and suffering have lost its, its grip. And this is a just a beautiful, I think, imagery of how Paul understands resurrection and how he uses this creational kind of terms, this this first fruits, produce, a new creation, a new world of possibilities. I, I love the the imagery here um, because we, we look at life and, and we look at our situation now and we, we can look at our individual stories and we can look at our the pain and the struggle around us and the uncertainty um, around us. And, and we can, can think, well, I guess that's all there is. So eat, drink, be merry, and we die. But, but the way Paul is encouraging the church is to say, but no, something new has broken in. Something uh, of cosmic, of historical precedence has broken in because of the resurrection of Christ, because dead people don't come back to life. And sin has been overcome and death has overcome. Now, remember the context. This is a, a small group of people that are being uh, oppressed by the Roman Empire. They have no influence. They have no money. Um, many of them are struggling to get by. They're being persecuted for what they, what they believe in. And yet, and yet Paul just continues to point them to, in this chapter, to their grounding identity, to the reality of the life and the death and the resurrection of Christ. To say something new has broken in. That you can look at the external circumstances of your life and you can look at persecution and you can look at the Roman Empire that seems to be winning and yet the resurrection says, in the end, God wins. In the end, no enemy, no ruler, no authority is going to have uh, the, last, the last say because something new has broken in by the resurrection. Paul says something uh, similar in Colossians uh, chapter one, probably a, a familiar passage if you've been around the scriptures at all, but, but great passage to, to reflect on, meditate on. But Colossians 1 15, it's talking about Jesus. It says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together, and he is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. 
And so Paul makes this, this statement that Jesus is the preeminent. He's the creator, but he's also the firstborn of creation. He's always been, he always was, and he's always going first. He's always going before us. And so what Paul's saying in Colossians 1 and what he's also saying in 1 Corinthians 15 is that Jesus is the, the firstborn of creation. Uh, that, that by his resurrection, he is doing something that no one could do for us. He's accomplishing something that no one could do for us. Um, and, and that's why he, he plays on, Paul plays on this idea. If you keep reading through 1 Corinthians of the shift that's happened from Adam to Christ. In verse 21, he says, For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. And so he, he talks about this great reversal that, that in human rebellion began by Adam and Eve, we have inherited a broken creation. We have inherited broken lives, that sin has entered the world, that it's not just in our DNA, it's in our bones. It's, it, it's, it's wreaking havoc on us all the time that we're going to even look at that on Sunday in Romans 7, uh, the good we want to do, the, the, the right we want to do. It's so difficult because of sin. Um, and, and so, so things don't work. Things don't function. The, the creation walks with a limp now. And so Adam brings in rebellion, which brings in sin, which brings in, as the scriptures make clear, death. The death isn't natural. The death was never meant to be the thing. It was never meant to be a thing that Adam and Eve in the garden had this perfect relationship with God, perfect relationship with each other, perfect relationship with the creation, and was to live and dwell and rule and reign with God for all of eternity. But when rebellion comes in and sin comes into the picture, when they say, no, thank you, God, we're going to live on our own and do our own thing, everything breaks. Everything gets fractured. And one of those things is death. So we don't live forever as we were intended. And so Paul is picking up those ideas from the great narrative of scripture and human history and saying, but by Jesus's resurrection, we now have hope. Death, suffering, sin comes through one man, Adam, but now hope and salvation and redemption and resurrection comes through another man, Jesus Christ, the firstborn of creation, the first fruits of creation who has now gone into the bowels of death, but come back alive, resurrected, from the dead. He's gone before us. He's done something that we couldn't do for ourselves. There's no, nothing anyone can do to reverse death. Nothing. As much as, and I think of, when I think of our culture, everything is predicated on trying to reverse death, trying to squeeze a little bit more out of our lives, right? I mean, everything is, is about which supplement can I get, which exercise program, what, you know, oils can I use to, to somehow keep myself healthy, longer, living longer. And there's nothing wrong with being healthy. Of course, we're not against those things. Nothing wrong with caring for our body. Our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit, of course. Yes and amen. But you think about everything that we try to do. We have plastic surgery so that we can look a little younger. Why? Because we know death is coming for all of us. And it can't be reversed no matter how much science we have, how much technology we have, it's coming for all of us. And the hope that Paul is laying out for his church in that day and, and for us is the fact that Jesus has done something. He's reversed the curse of sin and death and suffering by his resurrection. So through one man comes death, but through another man comes life. And so anyone that is in Christ, we are already alive with him. We are already seated in the heavenly places, as Paul says. 
in, in Ephesians. We already have a home. We're already secure. We're already healed. We, we look forward to that day. And again, th- this text, this section of 1 Corinthians is pointing to the future of, of what's going uh, to ultimately happen. And, and so, so Paul picks up that progression a little bit further. If you keep reading in 23, he says, but in each, in his own order, Christ, the first fruit. So Christ comes, he lives, he dies, he resurrects from the dead. And then it is coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. And so Paul's saying, I want to give you a little glimpse into the future. Here's how this is going to work, that Christ will return. So, so when someone dies and they're in Christ, they don't, they're not resurrected from the dead. They don't have a resurrected body at this point. They are, Paul will say in a blink of an eye, we are in the presence of Christ. Yes and amen. But we haven't fully experienced our full resurrected bodies, and we haven't experienced the full resurrected universe or the creation or the cosmos here that Paul's laying out here. He's pointing to the future. He's saying, yes and amen, you're secure, you're alive in Christ, but the best has yet to come. It's not until Christ's return when he restores and renews all things, which includes our own resurrected body, but to each his own, Christ the firstfruits, then it is coming, those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. And then, for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet, the last enemy will be death. So there's this progression that happens. The coming of Christ. Christ ends all of his enemies, all rulers, everything that has thwarted his plans of redemption, all the evil, all the injustices are put aside under his ultimate authority. Jesus is already ruling and reigning at the right hand of the Father right now, but he comes again, his second coming, fully alive, fully resurrected from the dead, takes care of any enemy that has come against him and his plans of redemption, all evil, all injustice done away with. And then the greatest enemy, death, is no more. That it is not a thing anymore. It's gone as if it never existed. It's just a blink. It's just a memory. It just fades away. No more death. No more mourning. No more crying over the loss of loved ones. It's a thing of the past. It's not a thing of God's kingdom. And then Jesus hands over all authority because his work is finally fully completed to the Father. And that all those that belong to him will be part of this new kingdom, the new heavens and the new earth, where we have new resurrected bodies, which we'll look at in in the coming weeks in the same chapter, what those resurrected bodies are like. We will have bodies that, that work and function that aren't marred by sin and suffering, that aren't limited, that aren't incapacitated. And we'll rule with God's people and rule with Christ in the entire renewed new heavens and new earth, new cosmos. That's what Isaiah 65 and 66 and Revelation 21 and 22 point to this new creation where there's no more sin and no more suffering and no more dying, no more pandemics, no more racism, no more sexism, no more pain and struggle. It's all gone. Because Jesus has done something that we couldn't do for ourselves. He has gone before us. He's overcome death. He's overcome sin. He's overcome suffering by his resurrection. He's the first fruits of creation. When sin came through Adam, sin came through his rebellion, our first parents, we inherited that rebellion. And the only thing we have looked forward to is death and separation and suffering. But now Christ says, no, 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 no. That's not the way it has to be. 
You may look at your circumstances. You may look at your at the world and say, it seems like things are dark and things aren't working the way they're supposed to. And yet a new creation has broken in because of the resurrection of Christ. A new day has dawned. That suffering and death and injustice don't have the last say. Pandemics don't have the last say. And and I find it interesting, those that want to reject the claims of Christ, those that want to reject the resurrection, those that want to say, you know, all your talk of new creation and resurrection and heaven and all this kind of stuff just seems like gobbledygook with all the pain and and struggle going on in the world. And yet I I always want to ask the question, then, then what is the solution? Where do we have better answers? Is it, is it more education? Because we, we're, we're trying that, right? If we just educate people in the right way, maybe we'll get along in the world. Maybe people are racist because they just don't have the right education. Or maybe husbands abuse their wives because they don't have the right education. Or may, maybe kids wouldn't shoot up schools if they just had the right education. Is, is that what we, we need? Or maybe it's better government. If we just had more competent leaders, then maybe people will get the help they need. Maybe our, 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 our world, our, our communities would, be, would flourish if we had better politicians. Maybe it's just better science. Maybe we just need the right technology. We could figure out how to live forever. We can cure cancer. We can cure all diseases. Maybe if we just took care of the planet. Whatever it may be. See, see I'm... We can look at all those things, but we, we're still in the same predicament. That, that even the pandemic has kind of shown that, that men and women don't get along very well. Have you been online? Everyone has a theory on what's going on, what's not going on. People are, are cruel and unkind. I mean, social media is a joke. Why? Because it's woven into our DNA is rebellion against God, which leads to rebellion against each other, that we are our own islands, our own masters. We're going to do whatever we want to do, that someone has to come and renew and restore and intervene on our behalf because there is no hope in our own ingenuity. As great as science is and government is, those aren't bad things. Those are God's common grace. And God uses those things. Yes and amen. And education is wonderful but it has its limits and it has its place. And so the teaching here in 1 Corinthians is riddled with hope and power to say things look bleak and things look dark. And yet this, these teachings worked for the first century church, a, a church that, that was going through something way worse than anything we're experiencing in, in, in our global pandemic. People were getting crucified upside down, burned with oil, feathered and tarred, treated in ways that you couldn't even imagine just for being Christians, nothing else, not the color of their skin, not their background, but just for being Christians, just for following Jesus. They were hated. They were maligned. They lived in, in a time where you couldn't go to the grocery store and get you know medicine for your illness or go to a doctor. They had to be their own doctors. And so it's good to keep things in context. And yet it worked because they knew that God had done something in Jesus that would give them hope and would give them a foundation that they could walk through anything that life threw at them, whether it be suffering or death or injustice. And that's the same hope we have today. And that message will never, never change until Christ uh, returns. Because this enemy death has 
been put on the back burner because of the resurrection of Christ. I love what C.S. Lewis says. He says, the New Testament writers speak as if Christ's achievement in rising from the dead was the first event of its kind in the whole history of the universe. He is the first fruits, the pioneer of life. He has forced open a door that has been locked since the death of the first man. He has met, fought, and beaten the king of death. Everything is different because he has done so. That's from uh, his book, Miracles, in chapter 16. A door has been unlocked. A new world has burst forth. And so that means we don't sit back passively and say, well, yeah, the world's a mess. It's, no, a whole new door is opened up and a whole new possibility is opened up because sin and death and injustice and it doesn't have the last say that Jesus has now given us a new power, a resurrection power to live in new and fresh ways, to live according to the values of the kingdom, to love and serve our enemies, to forgive and to offer people hope that need hope more than ever in our time. To, to say that even though the economy might be tanking, and even though people are getting sick and suffering, it doesn't have the last say that that's not our ultimate hope. That's not where we ultimately look. That's not where we find our identity. It's not where we find our ultimate joy. And what our stock portfolio is doing or how much money we have in the bank account, there's something greater that has happened. Something has broken into human history. A new door has been unlocked through the resurrection of Christ and new possibilities have been opened. And that God is renewing and restoring the entire world because of the resurrection of Christ. And so that's where I'm going to put, put my hope because when all things are subjected, as Paul says at the end of this little section in 28, the Son himself will also be subjected to him who put all things in subjection under him. So Jesus will have his rightful, his, his total mission will be completed. And that God may be all in all. God is restoring us, those that belong to Christ. He's restoring the entire cosmos, the entire creation, and God will be all in all, that we will, there'll, there'll be a seamless garment of his world, his new world, that, that even our imaginations can't fully comprehend what that will be like, because we're so used to just normal sin and death and hell and struggle and pain, because that's just our reality, but, but this is where, where Jesus says, no, 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 I've already begun a new work in you and through you and in the entire cosmos. And one day when I return, it will have its full restoration, its full transformation. And so next week we'll begin to look at more of what our own resurrection is like, what those new resurrected bodies will be like, how they function, how they work, what that means now and forever. And so I hope you're encouraged by 1 Corinthians 15. I'd encourage you to go back and read the, the chapter. It's, it's, it's quite a long chapter, but, but to kind of dig into and remember the hope that we have because Jesus rose from the dead. And so if you are on here with me and you would like any kind of uh, prayer, uh, now would be your time to, to chime in if you're on Facebook or on YouTube. I'd love to pray for you. If you don't have anything that's super urgent, uh, at this this time, uh, then I will be gladly just gl glad to just pray uh, for us um, and uh, and pray that the resurrection of Christ, the realities of Christ's resurrection, would invade your soul, invade your life today, um, as you are homeschooling kids, um, as you are uh, trying to go another day in quarantine, as you're figuring out job situations, loved ones, 
what the next few weeks, next few months hold for us. I pray that the thing that grounds you, the thing that encourages you, the thing that gives you hope today is the resurrection of Christ, that that's what you're caught up in, what you're part of. It's what you have hope for the future, what you have hope right now, that you're already seated, you're already raised with Christ because he's been raised from uh, the dead. So I pray you'd you'd walk um, in that hope. So with that, why don't we pray? Father in heaven, uh, we thank you for Jesus, the first fruits of creation, the firstborn of creation who did something for us that we couldn't do for ourselves, that he overcame the greatest enemy, the enemy of death, which is another way of saying he also overcame the greatest enemy of sin, that we can't stop its effects in our lives and in the world. We can't reverse it by mere ingenuity or willpower. But by Jesus' resurrection, something new broke into human history. Something new broke into our lives. And that, that message of hope is still our message and still available to anyone that would, would see it for what it is and believe it with their hearts, that Jesus lived and died and rose from the dead, that, that one day sin and death and suffering and tears and pain and uncertainty and doubt and cancer and death and pain and, and, and all these things will be done away with because of the resurrection of Christ. But in the meantime, God, may our hearts and our lives be filled with hope because a new day has dawned. A new door has opened because of the resurrection of Christ. And so we should be filled with hope of all people, regardless of our circumstances, because Jesus raised from the dead. Help us believe that. Help us walk in that. Help us get that deep in our bones. Help us be encouraged today as we walk with you. We love you and we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thanks everybody for uh, coming and joining me this week for another midweek Bible study. We will be uh, live on Sunday, 10 a.m. We will sing our hearts out, even if it's online or in our living rooms. Uh, We will hear God's word and be looking at Romans 7 on Sunday. So be checking that out. Romans chapter 7. We'll continue our Romans series. We'll keep you updated on all that's going on with the pandemic and the quarantine and and when those things might be lifted and what uh, life at New City will be looking like in the next few weeks and few months. So be be in prayer just for wisdom for us, but also wisdom for healthcare workers and our local uh, agencies and governments and and just wisdom on on wise ways to kind of begin slowly opening up our our country and our world and what that may look like. Uh, So be safe. And uh, I love you guys, and I'll talk to you real, real soon.